Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and the show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. The library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Seniors Straight Talk and can also be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is now also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel, so please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. You can find two of my courses on my website at www.phyllisamonassociates.com. For those listeners who are, I say, in SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, Resilience Toolbox Secrets features empathy, a word I've trademarked, teaching self-care, self-kindness, and self-compassion strategies, which will help you to recharge, reset, and recommit as you face life's challenges. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. And look out for an announcement for my upcoming five-day challenge entitled Caregiver Bounce Back from Burnout. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. I'm very proud that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. And I am hoping to have an audio version of the book in the near future. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and Pass It On Network continue bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm so glad that Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, is a sponsor. Olive Community Services is dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. And I'm very grateful to Olive President Rubina Chaudhry and the entire team at Olive Services for their continued support. And before we begin, I have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. So today I'm pleased to introduce my guest, Dr. Paul Falkowski, who's agreed to share his time with me on Senior Straight Talk. Dr. Falkowski has dedicated his life to serving people living and working in long-term care communities. He has a bachelor's degree in music and holds a master's degree and doctorate in gerontology. He was first attracted to the field of aging through volunteering to provide musical entertainment in nursing homes. And in 1993, he formed a nonprofit that recruited and trained approximately 700 volunteers for Omaha and Lincoln, Nebraska nursing homes over a 26 year period. And in 2003, He contacted the Department of Gerontology at the University of Nebraska and was encouraged encouraged to pursue a gerontology graduate certificate. 18 years later, he teaches online courses for the Department of Gerontology, conducts research, and consults with nursing homes. He recently developed the course, Volunteer Management and Aging Services, and is working on publishing a study in which he connects volunteerism in long-term care and the nursing home's quality of care measures. He's author of the book, Creating the Volunteer Force, the Volunteer Force. Sorry about that. Rethinking the way we use volunteers in nursing homes and form Volunteer Leader, 
LLC to provide support to nursing home managers of volunteers. I'm sitting here with my pom-poms. Awesome. I love cheerleading. His passion <laughs> for volunteerism and improving the self-care of older adults is unwavering. So welcome, Dr. Paul. Can I call you Paul? Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, I've been called a lot of things. My first name would be a nice thing. That would be a nice change. I actually had someone say to me, you're kind of like that annoying little gnat that just won't go away. So that's, <laughs> I took that as a high compliment. So. You know, it's funny you say that because <laughs> I, um, we have that in common then, because I say in most of the nursing homes in which I work, they're saying to themselves, and I, I, make, I make fun of it, I bring it to their attention because we might as well pay it, make it, you know, um, bring to the surface the elephant in the room. I say, um, I know you're thinking, what is she doing here? Can somebody like do something with her or get rid of her? Why, why is she here telling us about something else we need to do better? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, yeah. That's, that's uh, awesome. Persistence, that's, I, I like that word. Persistence and perseverance. Right. Um, tenacity. Anyway, thank you very much for inviting me on to uh, the program and giving me the opportunity to uh, tell my story one more time. Um, recently, I read a quote that really uh, kind of touched me. It's never underestimate the power of planting seeds. And mm -hmm. so I really, I really think that even though I may never see the end result of what I'm trying to do, I'm hoping that somebody out there will hear this and we'll pick the ball up and, um, and carry it forward um, because the need is just so great. And I think as we uh, get into this conversation, you know, I think what we went through this pandemic really highlighted just how um, uh, uh, severe social isolation really is. And um, I just saw a little headline on Twitter not too long ago. It said, loneliness kills. Oh, absolutely. And so uh, that's what I'm really about. And as I got started in this, um, you know, um, taking my saxophone into the nursing home to play some music, you know, I had never even thought about nursing homes. You know, I mean, that was just I was on my way to Carnegie Music Hall, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> Not 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 happy manner nursing home, you know. I mean, uh, just <laughs> so that's another thing we have in common because my first dream was to be a concert pianist. So so anyway, um, but uh, I was really uh, so impressed uh, that I could use my music in such a positive way to touch people, uh, to bring them a sense of joy, a sense of connectedness. Um, you know, I think people would say to me, Hey, I haven't forgotten that song yet, you know, and just to, to really bring them out, you know? And I think um, to me, it was just really um, uh, just so satisfying. And I remember though, talking to the um, activity directors and the rec therapists when I would finish playing and I would ask, ask them, I said, what do the people really need? What is it that they really need? And almost unanimously uh, they would all say one-on-one -on -one visits. They need someone to visit them. And this is back in 92 when I was first getting started. And uh, MetLife released a study in that year or uh, in close to that year that reported that 50% of the people living in nursing homes never receive a visit from anyone. That's true. And they were twice as likely to die in the same period as those that do. And so... Uh, for lack of a better term, it's failure to thrive. Right. Uh, they just shut down. And uh, I think that's what we saw last year. I don't know what the official numbers are. I was talking to uh, one re researcher. They thought maybe about 18% of the people living in nursing homes last year that passed away, about 18% of them passed away from loneliness and not the virus. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so this is not, this is not some small matter. Uh, it's something that's very, very um, um, compelling for me to address. And to me, uh, the solution isn't that um, difficult. Uh, it seems that difficulty is convincing the people in leadership uh, that uh, when their residents are getting regular visits from people 
and uh, that they're going to probably have less behaviors. There's going to be use of less meds, you know, to manage them. There's yeah. probably, I've had nurses tell me that people getting visitors have less falls. That's true. And uh, so on and on, less incidence uh, rate for depression and so on, and going right down the quality measures. And so uh, that's why, in addition to everything else I'm doing, I'm uh, working on a paper right now and making that connection. We uh, surveyed 52 nursing homes in Nebraska and uh, their volunteer programs, and then we matched it with their quality measures. And we're finding relationships. Um, the nursing homes where people were providing personal uh, support, and I don't mean uh, personal cares, but I, what I mean is uh, doing fingernails, uh, combing hair, uh, maybe helping people get dressed, things like that, uh, spending time with them writing letters. Uh, there was less use of antipsychotics. So, Can I just interject something? Because, yeah, sure. Um, first, I'd like you to explain for the listeners what quality measures are. You know, oh. In the industry, we know what that is. Sure. Uh, and it is an important measure for people in nursing homes when they're, they're rated and they have their surveys, mm -hmm. surveys, they look at quality measures. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So um, they wanted some concrete way to measure the level of care, the quality of care that was pre being provided by the nursing home. So there are 18 items that they are scored on, that they have to report on, um, starting with uh, the incident rate for pressure sores, and are people being moved and turned, uh, uh, the incident rate for depression, and depression is not a normal part of aging, and it needs to be treated. Right. Um, and then uh, the use of antipsychotics and hypnotic drugs to manage people. Um, and then um, on and on. There's quite a few of these. I don't know if you want me to go through all 18 no, of them. No, that's, but it gives people an idea. Yeah. Something that I've said for a very long time is that people often move into nursing homes. And I'll say it's different for assisted living because assisted living is a more socialized, um, mm. a more socialized uh, framework, I'll say. Um, but that people who move into nursing homes oftentimes is because they're living alone and they need care and there's nobody to help care for them and they're, they're alone, right? right. Uh, but they move into nursing homes and they're surrounded by people, but they're still alone. And yeah. um, that's, that's a devastating, uh, that's devastating. I think mm -hmm. for the person who thinks that they're, they're going to be amongst people, but yet really that connection, that socialization uh, is really not mm -hmm. there. And I want to just address one thing you said about having people pay attention to people like combing hair and doing their nails. And uh, I, um, because they'll say, well, we have people in the recreation department that do that kind of thing. But for me, it's a lot about helping people learn how to communicate with people and empathy. Because I, I was covering in a facility in the last few weeks, and I watched this guy who was from the recreation department. And he was doing people's nails, you know, women's nails, polishing them. He sat there, he didn't say one word to them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's nice. Uh, that's yeah. great that their nails are getting done, but where's the engagement? So I think right. it's, it's, it's very important that people understand that it's not just having somebody attend to their needs, but talking with them, engaging mm -hmm. with them in some way. Well, you're really touching on something that uh, the uh, volunteers uh, can provide. And, before we go any further, let me just caveat something here. There's all kinds of volunteers doing all kinds of things. You have people that are walk-ins. You have people that are entertainers. You've got people that only show up for the holidays or birthdays. Uh, and you have maybe board members or auxiliary groups. So there's a lot of different kind of volunteers. So the volunteer that I'm addressing that I want to create is someone that's been highly screened and trained to provide authentic relationships. And this is what you're touching on. Right. Uh, yes. For example, um, you know, I've, I've seen the uh, circular table where there's, <laughs> you know, six or seven residents and then the aide is sitting in the middle, you know, going from person to person, you know, like a assembly line. Right. Right. That's called a routine. Right. The volunteer doesn't do that. The volunteer focuses on one person and the routine becomes non-routine. 
I like and it, that. And instead of it being a five-minute, ten-minute um, activity, it turns into a ninety-minute social thing, doing nails, talking, sharing, and it's not about me really even doing something to someone. It's about us being together. I agree. Sh- sharing thoughts and and it goes beyond weather. Uh, this level of volunteer actually can become a confidant. They that uh, nursing home resident may feel. Um, so much at ease that they'll share they'll share things that they might not share with other people. They might not even share it with their family. Some of the training that I have, actually, I, we have to address that. You may learn things about this person that the family don't even know. And right. so what do we do with that information, you know, protecting right. privacy? So anyway, I call them companion volunteers. And so, and again, this isn't to negate all the other people that are coming in to do things. This is just a, a, another layer that I think could have been really helpful last year. They could have been in nursing homes wearing the PPE, uh, you know, and so on, and uh, following the CDC guidelines. And their sole purpose would have been just to sit with someone and, and give them that sense of feeling connected. So anyway, I wanted to kind of caveat that so that, you know, we need musicians. We need people to call bingo, you know, and, and on and on. Uh, uh, but for this particular uh, person, uh, I'm really focused on uh, what I, uh, to use. Sherry, Sherry Dupuy was the researcher that came up creating authentic partnerships. So, I, um, you know, there, there's something that you said that I really want to uh, speak to. And that is that, it's getting people who either run the, I'll say run, so I'll say administrators, because this kind of decision is usually not made it above the administrator level, mm-hmm. to, to buy into the importance of this and many other aspects in terms of leadership. And um, what I have found is that th- there's like a mindset, there's almost like a blueprint, and not all, but a good number, and certainly I think almost everyone that I've been in, and I've been in over 50 of them in the area where I reside, they have this blueprint and they kind of operate along that, you know, that way of thinking, unless something comes along from CMS that says they have to do something differently. And then they figure out how to weave that into what they're already doing. And, um, but that's, that misses the essence of what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. I, and I don't, you know, uh, that's kind of a tough nut too, because I know a lot of great administrators that uh, right now they're just trying to keep the doors open. I agree. You know, and they're really facing some tough things. I had one uh, one administrator uh, tell me she stacked all the regulations up on the floor and then weighed them, and she said it weighed about fifty pounds and it was about two feet high. <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're up to their neck. They're inundated. There's no doubt. And you they're know, trying and so, to figure that out all out. I agree. And uh, so I think that's part of the picture. And I think uh, what happens is someone like me, we come in with a new idea and it's like, oh, one more thing to think about. Right. You know, um, so I think what the, for me, the key is, is to show them what the ROI is. What's the return on the investment? Right. And uh, one CEO, and I, you know, this is the way these guys think. He said, you need to tell me, he didn't say this to me personally. I read this in an article. He said, you need to tell me how to keep the beds full and how to keep them in the bed longer. And that is often, So I'm sorry to say that often decisions are made based on that, whether or not it's in the best interest of the the resident. That's unfortunate. But I think for me, there are three key ROIs uh, that are measurable. Uh, The first one is the uh, impact that it's going to have on the quality of care and, more importantly, quality of life. Correct. You know, uh, does this person feel like a person anymore? You know, and um, uh, so quality of care, quality of life. So it's going to impact your star rating. Right. Then the second piece is uh, it's going to go to uh, – staff retention rates because I've talked to nurses about our volunteers and they'll say, we feel so we couldn't do what we're doing without these volunteers because I can go down the hall now and know that volunteer is with someone. I can trust them and I don't have to worry about that person now. 
And uh, then it just reduces the number of call lights. Right. Because, you know, and so I think I mentioned uh, 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 recently um, the nursing home, one of the nursing homes I was in, they had little lights above everybody's door. Yeah. And it looked like it looked like Christmas. <laughs> it was just all oh, the lights are flashing and the CNAs are running up and down the hall, you know, and um, it was chaos. And so how many of those call lights are because somebody just wants somebody to talk to. And interestingly enough, I think when people go to visit nurse, someone in a nursing home, or sometimes they say that's the reason they don't want to go to a nursing home is because there are people calling out all the time. They're calling for help. They're calling for many things. Many times it's really just for attention. People need somebody to pay yeah. attention to them, to know they're there, to think of them as a person. Uh, we had a previous conversation and I mentioned to you that I was in this nursing home and I was with a gentleman. He, he asked me for something to drink. It was apparent he was so, 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 so thirsty. And I went to the nurse at the nurse's station and told her. And she said to me before COVID, they used to have a lot of volunteers in this building. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful thing. One of the residents that's there now was a volunteer there for 50 years. Wow. And wow. Um, it was a wonderful thing. Since COVID, they stopped it. I asked her if they thought they would reinstate it. She said she didn't know. But she acknowledged just what you just said, that obviously the residents were better cared for. There were less people calling out for things. Mm-hmm. Um you know, yeah. and, and dehydration is an issue in nursing homes. So this gentleman, he certainly was not capable of asking somebody or calling somebody. Some people mm-hmm. can work a call light. Sometimes the call light is wherever. That's another issue. It could be inadvertent. Right. It could be it fell. Um, so then how do they let anybody know? And they have this sense that nobody's going to come anyway, or it's mm-hmm. going to be so long. So then they don't bother. So then that situation is just exacerbated. Right, Exactly. The third ROI is that volunteer, like me and many others, will think, I need to get into this as a career. Mm-hmm. And they, it's attracting new workers. And I've actually had volunteers leave their occupation and take a job in the nursing home. They'd be a CNA or they went to nursing school, uh, administrators. Uh, and uh, even a uh, business manager, this gal left her position at a corporation as a comptroller, if you can imagine this, to become the business manager for the nursing home in her town. That is just an extraordinary... And I I didn't ask them to do that. Right. In fact, that's not even... I didn't even bring that up in the training. Right. That that came from the experience. You know, and so uh, the whole thing about... Uh, attract, you know, staffing, you know, how do we attract new workers? I'm all for exposure. And that's why I really um, am pushing this because, you know, prior to me going into a nursing home, uh, it was just some dark, scary place that I didn't want anything to do with. And uh, instead today, I describe them as libraries with living books. Oh, I love that. You know, yeah. on, on that note, let's take a short break and we'll come back. I love that because I I talk about these people as our wisdom keepers, mm. right? Yes. So so it's it's uh, somebody, I think I wrote it in my, uh, I don't th- know if it was in this book or in my previous book. I, I uh, It was a quote and it said something like, yes, these, these people are the repositories of history. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk and we'll be right back for more joyful conversation about volunteer leading in nursing homes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm having a great conversation about volunteer leading in nursing homes with Dr. Paul Falkowski. But more than that, it's uh, just about how we're caring for older people in this country and understanding who the people are that are residing in our nation's nursing homes. And we, we ended before we went to break talking about that. So talk about that a little more about, you know, you, you talk about li- these being libraries with living, living people in them. Well, again, this is something and, um, um, that I need to mention too. It changes the volunteer. I, I had uh, one of my early volunteers came back to me. He was an attorney, brilliant brilliant guy. And uh, he came back to me one day. He said, you know, I got to tell you something. He said, this has really changed the way I view life. He said, I, I talk to my kids a little more and I hug my wife a little more. So I got the chills when you said that, because I just wanted to say last week I was in this facility and I was talking with the CNA. It was a difficulty with this person that she was trying to feed. And we started talking and he was in pretty bad shape, this guy. And I don't know how it got on to the conversation, but she said to me that she had been working in this nursing home for 35 years. And being in this nursing home, being a CNA taught her that anybody can be in this bed at any point in time. Mm -hmm. And then we got into that conversation that people don't see these people. This could have been a doctor, a lawyer. People don't see that. I worked in this nursing home uh, several weeks, months ago, And I think I mentioned this to you. This woman said to me, she used to work for the United Nations. She said to me, all people see is this old woman in this bed. These are people that have had lives and some of them very rich lives. Some, uh, all lives are rich in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And Uh, um, yeah. On one of my first visits, I have to, this is a confession though. On one of my first visits, you know, very naive, green behind the ears, you know, playing my songs, you know. (laughs) People were singing and I'm talking to a woman and I was using the baby talk. Oh, honey, baby. Uh You know, she stopped me and she turned to me and she goes, you don't, I mean, excuse me. Do you know that I have a master's in English? And it was like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) and so from that point forward, it was really a wake up call and just what you're touching on. Uh, these were people that had uh, careers. They raised families. Uh, in many cases, they fought in wars and uh, did some pretty remarkable things. Um, Elizabeth, I met her when she was 89 years old. She was a woman air service pilot during World War II. Wow. She said, I'm qualified to fly 39 different kind of aircraft. Mm. And the purpose of the uh, woman's air service pilot was so that they could ferry airplanes around without using their fighter pilots. Right. And so these women were flying airplanes all over the world. And um, anyway, she could fly any, everything from a B-17 bomber to a uh, P-36 fighter and helicopters. Wow. And I mean, where do you hear a story like this? You know, so- and it's amazing. Then she added, she goes, they won't let me fly anymore. <laughs> it reminds me, uh, it's not that kind of story, but this woman, many, obviously many, many years, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it was many, many years ago. I remember what she looked like, um, you know, hunched over, gray hair and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that image. <clears throat> Turns out that she was one of the original models for Coco Chanel. Oh, wow. And there were pictures of her that were just absolutely Mm -hmm. stunning wow absolutely stunning so people unless and a few years ago i was in a room and talking with this guy and everybody was calling his champ and i wondered why and someone told me he was a prize fighter and he told me his name i don't remember it um any longer i i used to remember for a while when i looked him up i said wait a minute 
did you fight Roberto Duran? He said, yes. Oh. I said, I saw that fight. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that oh, awesome? Man. So it's just no. what you say. That's not everybody, but everybody has had no. some life, some something that is of value to, to, to society and to mm-hmm. somebody, to somebody else. Well, and uh, I think I mentioned I had some um, um, high school uh, groups visiting nursing homes. And uh, this was back in the eighties. And so the punk thing was going on. And so it's when the, you know, the first green hair appeared and right. all the different colors and, you know, the rainbow and everything else and all, everything is pierced, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it's a cool, you know, so anyway, it's a look, it's a look. Yeah. It's a look. Right. And so anyway, I, I go to the nursing home and I'm sitting with an older woman and I'm asking, so what do you think about these kids that come? And uh, she said, Oh, they're great. The, uh, this gal reads letters to me and we talk about things and uh, oh, I love it. And uh, I said, well, what, what do you think about the hair? You know, cause this, this gal had one of those Mohawk things. You know? <laughs> and it was like standing straight up, you know? <laughs> and she goes, ah, oh. she goes, it doesn't matter. She goes, that'll grow out, you know? And so, <laughs> but what the, I'm getting at is that young person was experiencing unconditional love. Correct unconditional acceptance the hair wasn't an issue the piercings was not an issue it was our friendship you know and uh, the mutuality that was being created so what i'm getting at is how does that impact the fabric of our society then right where's that young person today and what are they doing i'll bet she's working in a nursing home i i'm gonna hope so let's put it that way yeah right. I, I somebody told me a story um, about during the the pandemic that people weren't allowed to go to the dining room. So there were, um, you know, people from the, the kitchen were delivering meals to people's rooms. Mm-hmm. And so this one person, it was somebody I had on the podcast. I don't remember who. This one person, uh, you know, the, 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 the residents saw this person every day and they started to exchange words and, mm-hmm. you know, cordialities. And at one day, I think it was that the resident asked this person who was a younger person if they knew how to work there, you know, do something technologically with their iPad or whatever it was. Well, before you know it, the young mm-hmm. person started going and helping this person learn about technology And it was a wonderful relationship. And of course, in turn, the young person experienced, you know, the wisdom that this person had to share or some of her stories or, you know, life lessons that she Mm -hmm. wanted to impart. It was a wonderful, wonderful exchange. And there needs to be more of them. Absolutely. Yes. Um, One of the things I want to bring up uh, is uh, the five excuses why we can't do this. And uh, I have this in my book, and I go into some detail about it. Uh, But in my research and in talking with people, like, why why don't we do this? And the first one that comes up is, well, the volunteers are unreliable, and it's not sustainable. And, yeah, you know, if you don't put air in the tire, it won't work either. (laughs) You know? You've got to make an investment in it. Correct. You don't ha- and it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. You hire s- someone that's been trained in volunteer management. They understand how to uh, manage volunteers, how to recruit, how to train, how to retain. And you get this all and you make this part of the organization's fabric. Correct. So that you don't have this us and them mentality. It's just you have some people that are providing care that are paid and some that are providing attention that are volunteers. And then the second excuse is liability, you know, risk, you know, how do you handle the risk? Well, how do you handle risk? You identify the risks, (laughs) you write policies, and then you train the people and um, you show due diligence on your training and you document it. And uh, the, the truth of the matter is how many, uh, lawsuits are there right now against nursing homes that involve staff versus volunteers. Right. But you could count on one hand the number of volunteers, and you don't have enough hands for the other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's not an excuse. And then um, uh, going on just in all the different things that, you know, that that they might say, but those are the two big ones, liability and it's not sustainable. Yeah. I've heard that. 
Yeah. I've heard that. Baloney. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Well, I've been advocating for years because so many people in nursing homes need assistance when they eat. Yep. And uh, there aren't enough uh, people to do that. Or by the time they get to them, the food is cold. Yep. Um, and the people are sitting there watching everybody else eat. And I have suggested this in many, many nursing homes. Listen, they could be people of all ages. And I hear that same excuse. There are liability issues. And I've said the same thing. Well, you train people. You have them trained by nursing, by a speech pathologist, about feeding, you know, whoever else would be involved, maybe a social worker. And then you address those issues. Uh, that's how you do it. Um, you know, the irony of that is families are allowed to come in and feed. I know. Well, in actuality, there are many instances <laughs> where I have been called to train family members and oh, okay. how to feed a person right. with the appropriate techniques and the appropriate consistencies, depending on their condition. Right. Otherwise, yes, they are allowed to. Uh, so, and again, you know, the caliber, uh, and again, I just reiterate, we're talking about a level of volunteers that are highly committed. They've been screened. Uh, for example, my attrition rate for my program, it's kind of like the Marines. We only take a few good ones. Right. And, you know, and that's really the mentality for this particular type of volunteer um, that uh, they get, go through a screening, they go through background checks, they go have to submit letters of reference, uh, they go through a face-to-face -face interview, and then we invite them to training and they pay for the training. Right. So, I mean, they have got, you know, so my attrition rate, uh, up front was about 60%. Oh. But the 40% that made it through were diamonds. I mean, they oh. were just amazing people that doing, they were creative, they were committed, uh, they understood uh, community and inclusiveness, and they understood the difference between compassion and sympathy. Mm -hmm. They weren't there to feel sorry for people. They were right. there to, to join them in their walk. So right. anyway, so th to me, you know, you don't need a hundred volunteers. I mean, it'd be great if you could find a hundred, but if you had five or six people like this on your team working with you, um, and what I, a difference it would make the activity director, activity directors would call me and say like, where do you find these people? Right. You know, and the, the beauty of it is it takes some time to ramp it up. It doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot right. of homework that has to be done. But once you got the um, uh, program up and running, these people will go back to their workplace, right. to their groups, and they'll say, this is good. Right. Uh, and um, um, I had one group actually go back to their CEO. And I can't mention the name of the company, but it's an international corporation based in Omaha. And the CEO came to our banquet to receive an award. They were donating, they were supporting us at that point. And he said, I have seen such a change in my employees that are volunteering with you. He said, uh, I am now going to pay them while they're at the nursing home and I'll pay for their training. Oh, this is, that's a beautiful, what a beautiful thing. So the point is, the point is, is that you, this volunteer and that's why I guess I went with the Superman thing because, you know, the super right. uh, volunteer force, you could see my little guy there with the right. red cape, you know, <laughs> anyway, because they really are super people. And they're, I don't think this is unique to Omaha or Nebraska. I think they're everywhere. I agree. I agree. It's just a question of the desire to mm -hmm. find them. So how can people find out about your book or contact you about this program? Or maybe you and I should also talk about maybe how we can, how I can start a program like this someplace where I am. Um, the uh, website is volunteer leader, V O L U N C H E E R leader, volunteerleader.com. And my email is my first name, Paul at volunteerleader.com. And um, I think it'll pop right up. Uh, I've got pretty good placement on Google right now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So um, um, that's the best way to find me. As far as the book, if you can find it everywhere, Amazon, can, wherever, you know, the books are sold. And it's called Creating the Volunteer Force. 
and uh, rethinking how we use volunteers in nursing homes. Love it. Absolutely and, love it. And I go into some depth uh, about this. So, and I really, I mean, it's really for everyone, but I'm pointing it at administrators. I'm talking about what's the ROI, why you need to be thinking about this and um, uh, investing in it. Uh, so, and it's happening in other places of the world. This is the thing. Right. Um, it's happening in Canada. It's happening in New Zealand. It's happening in the UK. And so I'm saying to my uh, compadres here in the US, let's get on the stick. I agree. I, I told you about a program that I was thinking of. It's similar. It's like, um, I was thinking of calling it be a friend program. It was just, that's the name that popped into my head. And, um, you know, maybe you and I can talk further about how I could possibly yeah. uh, get that going or expand it because I, it's mm -hmm. based on the same premise that people in nursing homes need, they need a friend. They need somebody to talk to. They need somebody to care about them. They need right. somebody to care about uh, I'm glad you mentioned that reminds me University of Nebraska Department of Gerontology 1994 I think uh, completed a study of older adults in uh, Omaha area for the Office on Aging to find out what they needed so 300 questions on the survey housekeeping safety uh, I just all kinds of things and the top three needs that popped up one I need a ride to the doctor <laughs> 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 right. Number two, I need to feel like someone cares about me. Right. Number three, I need to have someone that I can care for. Oh, well, there you go. And that was in the top 90 percentile. And that's above safety. That's above housekeeping, food preparation, you know, and the whole list. Those I need a ride and I need a relationship. So interestingly enough, there was a study. Well, I think I wrote about it in the last book. I don't remember who did the study. I'm sorry to say. And it, uh, it's a well-known study by a psychologist, and it had to do with plants. So they placed plants in the rooms of residents in nursing homes. And in one group, the, the staff came and watered the plant. And in the other group, the person watered the plant. And what did they find? That the person that watered the plant themselves thrive. They started coming out of their rooms. They started becoming more interactive, more verbal, mm -hmm. because just, just based on that, they had something or somebody to care about. The same thing that happens with an active pet program. I don't mean somebody coming once a week for people to pet the dog <laughs> right. or talk to the cat, uh, talk to the bird. Mm -hmm. I've seen this. I've seen a facility that has a horse come in. Okay. Oh yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> we I have mules. That, we had some mules. <laughs> I, I just think that's beyond the pale. But whatever. I mean, <laughs> that's all right. I, whatever. I just thought it was beyond. In the, the pale, rural but... parts of Nebraska, I'll bet there's a cow or two that's made. Okay. Well, th this was this was in a, this was in a this was in an urban area, so I thought yeah. it was a bit much. Yeah. In okay. Nebraska, I could see it, but anyway, nevertheless. Um, that's not that's not the same as a pet program. No. There was a wonderful program in California. And uh, this guy developed a relationship with um, shelters, animal mm -hmm. shelters. I think it was dog shelters. So they had rescue dogs. And then each nursing home was paired with a particular shelter. And the people from the shelter would come in and do a little assessment. And they would determine which one of the animals would be appropriate mm -hmm. for that particular nursing home. And the animal would be brought to the nursing home. And everybody who wanted to, but most people, we're responsible for some aspects. So somebody mm -hmm. might it just be petting. Somebody might be brushing. Somebody might be mm -hmm. pouring, you know, putting out water. Somebody might be walking. Anyway, at and the they're end well fed. Of the, uh, right. At the end of the period of time <laughs> when the animal was kind of rehabilitated, <laughs> one person was uh, assigned and they had families come and apply to adopt that pet. And as a group, they decided who would adopt nice. that pet. I mean, what a phenomenal yeah. uh, you know, the, the change they saw in people was phenomenal. And th I think the big thing, too, is this really goes to the image of the nursing home in that community then. Right. It isn't some dark, scary place. Right. There's people there and great stories and, and great things to, you know, to experience there. So, yeah, there's a lot to this. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I just hope that I uh, in the days ahead that I'm, I'm working on putting a white paper together. I'd like to run it up the flagpole and see how many people can get to um, 
sign on to it because I really think that administrators, the owner operators are missing the boat on this one big time. This isn't, this isn't like buying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of software. No, I I agree with you. I I told you about, I I won't go into the story. Now I told you about an idea that I had for a nursing home, a small nursing home in upstate someplace. mm -hmm. And um, it would have cost zero money absolutely zero, mm-hmm. but the engagement with the community and with another generation and the goodwill that it would have created was tremendous. And despite yeah. the fact that it would have cost nothing, they didn't want to do it. And so it's about mindset. Once again, it goes back to, yeah. goes back to that. I do. I really do think though, that uh, the administrator should hire someone specific for that role. Because a lot of times the activity director gets this gets tagged onto their job description, right. and you know there it's just not possible uh, time wise. And so you can hire someone part time or full time, and that are uh, and I think this is key. They'll know how to run. They'll know what to do. They'll know how to run the program uh, so that it is sustainable, and um, uh, uh, it'll become a meaningful part. So that I think there is some investment is what I'm trying to say, but I think it's going to come back to you in your star rating. It's going to come back to you in reports that go out to the community. And uh, so uh, to me, again, you know, we're not talking, it's under a hundred thousand. Right. I think, I think for 80,000, you can put in a great, great volunteer. You can hire a full-time person. And the other thing that's interesting about this that I've been thinking about is that director of volunteers should be sitting with a director of nursing comparing mm-hmm. notes. And because these volunteers that I'm talking about would also document their visits to some extent. So if right. they notice changes in behavior, someone seems to be depressed right. or someone's uh, whatever it might be, something's changed that that can become part of the care plan as well. So they become eyes and ears for the nurses as well. Right. They, they become integral to the, to the care mm-hmm. of the resident. It's part of, uh, it's part of pers- talk about person-centered caring. Uh, right. That is really person-centered caring at its best, I would say. Right. It's, and again, this isn't about replacing paid employees correct. with free labor. You know, right. I, I, the volunteers are not going to be doing personal cares. They're not going right. to be you know, doing IVs or, you know, whatever. No, that's not it at all. Uh, But uh, I read, I can't remember who said it. It might've been Claxton Oldfield. One of the researchers said, um, is a nurse getting someone dressed a good use of resources? Someone that's been highly trained um, and so on uh, and so on. So how are we using um, people? What What are they doing? And so can the volunteer pick up some of that? Well, they would say, I'm sure that the nurse isn't doing that, mm-hmm. and neither is the LPN because they're most likely dispensing medication. Mm-hmm. So it's the CNA. My contention is that the CNA is actually should be thought of differently. Right now, they're thought of as just someone who does custodial tasks, and they're low person on the totem pole. But the reality is that a CNA, just like you would say this volunteer person, has to make very astute observations and report them to a nurse or to a doctor about changes in, in, mm-hmm. in, in skin color, in, in, um, right. in mood, in eating patterns, in phys- physio- you know, physiological function, in um, temperature, mm-hmm. in, in whatever it is. And those are very, um, those are very nuanced observations. That's not custodial care. So mm-hmm. I really believe that CNAs should be looked at very differently. They, they yeah. play an important role. They actually mm. do have a clinical role. People think they don't. They do. When I go to evaluate a resident, the first person I seek out is the CNA and mm-hmm. say, what can you tell me? Why? Because they spend most of the time. Sometimes they'll tell me, oh, they're just not hungry at lunchtime. They eat a mm-hmm. great breakfast and a great dinner. Okay, that's the end of that. Did anybody ask the CNA that? Probably not. Right, right. So anyway, uh, I think that the uh, director of volunteer, I like to use that instead of saying volunteer manager, because it sounds like the manager is a volunteer. Right. Uh, So director of volunteer management, um, that person should um, be working right alongside the director of nursing and informing, informing the care plan as well. 
because again, the resident is probably going to say things to that volunteer that they may not even say to a CNA. That's true. You know, because there is that fear factor. You know, I was if just I, going to say they may say things about the CNA mm-hmm. because they feel comfortable and they don't feel comfortable saying it to anybody else. But you brought up an important point, which is what is the HIPAA uh, requirement there? Yeah, exactly. And so, again, uh, I think it. You know, you have to you have some wisdom in in that. You know, if the person is going to harm themselves or something. You know. Uh, very serious, then that needs to be reported. Um, on the other hand, I had a volunteer that learned that a uh, husband had had an affair and the wife didn't know. Oh, gee. You know, what do you do with that? Do you call the wife up and say, hey, I got some news for you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, I would think not. <laughs> so, but that, so that, that's the kind of thing that can happen. But those are, that's important communications, though, because that person's starting to reveal themselves right. to someone. And uh, this goes to a lot of um, what L. Power talks about, you know, not treating the symptom, but discovering what the underlying need is. Correct. And so the volunteer can be trained to do that. I, I agree 100%. And as a person who's a communicator, so for me, I tell people, it's not only what the person is saying, but how they're saying it. Look beyond it, not just, not just the words they're saying. What's, what's their facial expression when they're saying, what's yours? What, what's being communicated beyond those words? And that takes training. Yeah. So, again, and I'm big on training. You can't just watch a 10-minute HIPAA video and then put somebody on the floor and think it's going to work. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I had, and I have to tell you, in the beginning, I was kind of doing that uh, because I was just, again, naive. I didn't understand really what was going on. I thought the nursing home was going to do more training. And it turned out it didn't happen that way. And I started getting phone calls back from the uh, people I sent to the nursing home saying, Hey, I got there. I watched this little video and then they put me on the floor and I, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. You know, so that's why I wrote this training program and I thought, okay, what do volunteers need to know? And I got input from administrators, director of nursing, social workers, activity directors, and we wrote this thing together. And then I even had them go through it uh, so that uh, they understood what, what was being uh, presented. And so um, it's pretty thorough. Uh, it takes them from, you know, I don't know anything about it to, you know, working in the uh, memory care, mm-hmm. you know, nonverbal communication. So, and then beyond that, we had ongoing training. Uh, I'm not doing it right now, but uh, time slips, for example, or validation therapy. Mm-hmm. And again, the caliber of person you're recruiting for this level, they want to keep learning. Right, right. They want to keep growing. Right. And uh, so um, um, we were offering, we weren't requiring it, but offering these opportunities. Well, here's a, uh, here's a technique. Here's a, an activity that might be um, something you'd be interested in. We had, we had a lot of people go through time slips uh, and Bastings uh, thing. And, well, uh, I, I do a training on communicating, communication and empathy. Okay. Yeah. Um, to teach what empathy is, how mm-hmm. to use empathy, learning about different communication styles and, and right. um, how to interpret them, how mm-hmm. you're using them. And yeah, um, yeah it's... Um, so the, I, the way I would, the demographic I would describe is this is a person that uh, is probably mid-career or coming up on retirement. Uh, <clears throat> they uh, are fairly successful at what they're doing. And now they're thinking about doing something meaningful in their community. Right. And uh, they're sharp. Uh, my first person to go through this training was an Air Force pilot. Oh, she, cool. uh, she flew tankers, if you can imagine, refueling tankers. No small job. And uh, she was the first one that went through. And then after that, uh, we were attracting uh, just all, all kinds of people from different occupations, engineers, attorneys, um, even some nurses. The nurses, the retired nurses, I had to warn them, you're not a nurse anymore. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we had to have a little special thing there. But um, the idea is, though, these were people that uh, they were sincere in their commitment. They had had a good experience with maybe a grandmother or an aunt or somebody. 
in their life and or they had someone in the nursing home that when they passed away they wanted to continue coming back right, to the right, nursing right. home so um so these are people these are people again uh, uh, and this isn't to uh, uh diminish uh, other volunteers this is just a different just a different uh, caliber or caliber level. Yeah. yeah and so um one of the things i just saw uh uh, billboard for the Marines. They said, we don't take applications. We take commitment. Oh, I love that. And that's exactly where my, my mentality is on right. this. And so uh, we require them to commit at least 13 weeks to start a couple hours a week minimum, because if you're going to build a relationship, it has to be consistent Correct. over time. Yeah. And, uh, and people are going to wonder in the nursing home, I had people ask me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Like you could be anywhere. What are you right. doing here? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so they want to know, like, what, what's, what's your motivation? Right. And I've heard uh, residents. I've heard them say, well, they're just here to do some community service, or they're just here to, you know. So they, they, they can pick up on sincerity as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I there was a quote that I heard a long time ago. It was from a resident in a nursing home. I put it in my, my book, the previous book, Overdue Quality Care for Elder Citizens. And it said, when there's care in the heart, you can see it and feel it in the health. Yeah. Yep. And yep. that's uh, true. That's, that's, yeah. that's true. And yeah. that's what that CNA said to me the other day. She said that there are plenty of people. This is just a body in the bed. But she learned so yeah. much about people working in this nursing home all these years that this could be anybody. It could be any mm -hmm. one of us. It could be anybody at any time. And people right. don't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, uh, I, I know uh, nurses that have said to me, and these are good people too. They said, it's just so hectic. It's hard to think of them as a person, mm -hmm. you know, um, this is my knee. This is my back. This is my heart attack. You know, and they start referring to people by their condition. Right, correct. And, um, uh, you know, anyway, there's a lot of issues inside of this thing for sure. Yeah. And so my, I guess I want to be really clear that I am not diminishing nurses or CNAs oh. or administrators. I, I just think that we have a component that we need to make a serious investment in. I, I agree. Uh, when you say that, Sometimes I find it, and you will hear residents say this, that they don't know my name. They only know my room number. So I'll go ask somebody, how mm -hmm. is, um, you know, Mr. Smith doing or Mr. So-and-so doing? They say, what room number is that? Well, I don't know the room number. I know the person, right? right? They know the well, room number. I know the person. So it, I've, I've asked people their name. Where, where's your name? Smith. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, your first name. <laughs> <laughs> Bob. Oh, okay. Let's use Bob. <laughs> you know, anyway, and I know there's so much to this, uh, but again, I would encourage uh, people uh, to visit my website and um, to uh, email me. Feel free to email me. I'll talk to anybody that's sincere. Uh, and I'll talk to my critics too, for that matter. So you can call, you know, you can email me and let me have it. Then I'll, I'll retaliate or not retaliate, respond. <laughs> Be ready. I uh, tell people that this, this whole thing makes you sort of like the Klingon from Star Trek. Right, exactly. You get this really bony forehead. Right. It's true. From it's trying to walk true. through walls. Anyway. Right. So tell people your email address again and your website. Okay. It's volunteerleader.com. Mm -hmm. And my email is paul at volunteerleader.com. Awesome. And uh, the book is called Creating the Volunteer Force. And you can get it at Amazon, Kindle, you know, wherever you buy books. So, oh, well, Paul, this has just been so fantastic. And as you and I said in the break, uh, it's great when you find somebody of like mind. You, we could talk about this forever. I don't I know, know if listeners want to hear about it forever, but, <laughs> but we could talk about it forever. So Podcast maybe, part nine. Exactly. <laughs> 
Anyway, so I guess we've come to the end. So thanks so much because yes. this has just been terrific. The enlightening conversation. The, I mean, you're doing such a tremendously valuable work, and um, and wow. I, and I hope that the listeners really take to this and and some people reach out to you and maybe think about doing this for themselves or wonder mm -hmm. about maybe if they have a loved one in a nursing home, maybe they can go speak to an administrator or a social worker oh, yeah. director of nurses and say, Hey, listen, mm -hmm. uh, there's a great program out there that could be great for my loved one. And I'd love for you to hear about it. Here's the information. So that mm -hmm. would be awesome. That, that would be awesome. Right. So please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm Phyllis Amon signing off. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.